before it was just about to be ready to be open, the owner of the franchise, he got a stroke and he went into coma. And he was the brains behind the brand and the marketing and everything, basically. Without him, we were like sitting ducks. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To join me, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and sign up for our free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter where I share how to reduce risk and create, grow, and protect your wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guests, Mohit Tater. Mohit, are you ready to join the mission? I am. Totally. Yeah, I'm excited. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yes, and I'm glad to have you on. And it's been fun already talking about some yeah. stuff. So I think we're going to have some fun. Let me introduce you to the audience. Mohit is a serial entrepreneur, investor, and consultant. He founded Black Book Investments and quickly became a recognized expert investor in online businesses and digital assets. Mohit has extensive experience in SEO, content marketing, social media marketing, and conversion rate optimization. He has worked closely with brands such as eBay, Groupon, Microsoft, Nokia, and many more on their digital marketing strategies. Today, Mohit lives his passion as an investor, growing online businesses for himself and his client, Mohit. Take a minute and tell us about the unique value you're bringing to this wonderful world. Thank you for the fabulous introduction, Andrew. <laughs> you can describe it better than anyone else, I think. So yeah, I am Mohit. I'm from India, from a city called Jodhpur. It's also called the Blue City. I run a company called Blackbook Investments. It's a micro-private equity company through which we buy and operate and grow a portfolio of online businesses. And we do this for ourselves, our own portfolios, and our clients' portfolios. So we do this as a service for investors also. We offer online businesses as an investment class to people, which hardly, you know, five or six people in the world that I know do that. People do it on their own for themselves, but they don't do it as a service to other investors. So that's our unique proposition. We help you. We make it easy. We democratize investments in websites and online businesses so that you can, you know, rest assured and be totally hands off and reap the benefits of this amazing asset class. It's fascinating. I mean, that's a very interesting model. And one of the yeah. things that I I tell young people these days is that if I was in your shoes as a young person coming out of university, I would study Facebook ads, Google ads, Twitter ads, LinkedIn ads, because it is so damn hard to find somebody that can really yeah. deliver on advertising on these things. And if you therefore consolidate a bunch of businesses that are online that need these, it's like you get a higher level of economies of scale that you can spend and really focus in on that stuff. Let me ask you the question in that is, are you really getting actively involved with these companies? Or are you focusing mainly on helping them get financing? Or are you focusing on how do you grow their sales? Or what do you, what's your involvement? We buy them outright. We don't invest in them. We buy them outright and we take over everything, operations, marketing, sales, everything. And our team, we have about 25 to 30 people full-time. They basically take over the operations and start you know, running and managing the business from there on. 
So it's, it's a buyout, basically. And we buy companies valued at about from starting from $100,000 to about $2 million. How do you value a company like that? Is it like looking at the revenue yeah. they're making, the profit, or how, how do you think about that type of business? Yeah, it's mostly it's mostly a multiple of the seller's discretionary earnings or a multiple of the EBITDA. We buy anywhere from three to four X of the EBITDA. And what's a, let's just imagine that my audience has some people that have their websites and they're making some money on those things and they're getting up to the point where you know they're yeah. in your space. What is it that you would look for to say, our ideal customer, our ideal acquisition is acquisition. X? First of all, it should not be made to sell. We try and avoid you know businesses that are made to sell. We want you know businesses that have been started by their founders because of their passion because they had extensive knowledge in that subject or area and they wanted to share that with the world. So they did not specifically start, you know, with the aim to sell it, but now maybe they've outgrown it or maybe they don't have the time or maybe they need to raise some cash for buying a house or something. So these should be, you know, individual led businesses, not created and made by a company to be sold. That's one thing. And the topic should be within our area of expertise. We cover a wide area of topics because we have writers and you know experts on pretty much a lot of topics but it should not be an obscure topic that we you know cannot get experts for because to continue running the business we would need expertise in that particular area so these are some of the two crucial and also it should be growing we don't like to buy declining businesses i'm i don't fancy turning around things i mm. rather buy a rocket ship <laughs> and strap myself to it so growing businesses should have history for three to four years at least of revenue should have been around for four or five years, if not more, solid seller, solid, you know, individual who is selling them and not created for the purpose of selling. And then you buy it outright. Are you keeping the founder involved or you get the founder out? So more recently, we have been keeping the founder involved with the bigger deals, let's say half million dollars and above. We try to buy 80% equity and have the founder keep 20% or 25% for which they get, of course, the dividends, quarterly dividends for their share. And they also help us out with the ongoing growth tactics and, and marketing, not like full-time, but they give us the support like a mentor and our team, you know, does the legwork. And what what is your team's skills? Like some teams are really good at like the operational stuff. Others are great at selling. Others are great at, you know, how do we massively increase this? Or what would you say yeah. is your your main addition that you bring to it once you buy it? Yeah, our team's expertise is content marketing, basically, SEO and content marketing. We come in and we have expert writers, expert editors, we have content managers, and then basically their job is to make sure that the content machine continues and we only put high quality content. We hire expert writers, whatever niche that is. We do not hire generalists. So if it's, let's say, a content website, we make sure that we have expert writers in that niche for that. We pay top dollar for good quality content. So, you know, that is where my team's expertise lies. Because as for the sales part, there is not much we have to do because for these content businesses, sales come in when people find our website through Google. Mm. And then they read the review of a product and they go to Amazon to buy that product. We make a commission out of it or they read an article on our site and we get paid by the ads like from the ad companies so it's not active selling involved and whatever selling that is involved i take care of that because i think i'm good at sales my team's expertise to run and manage and grow content-based businesses with content marketing expertise 
And since I've got a content marketing expert online, I'm can't you gotta gotta ask the question like, how is artificial intelligence going to impact content marketing or content in general on, you know, yeah. on the internet? I think my two cents on that would be the short version is that generic content which has been regurgitated from other articles and you know compiled into a new article is going to suffer, whereas original content is going to be you know more valued now because there's less of that there's more demand for that so if let's say you're an expert in archery and i have an archery blog so only you can give me the insights from your years of experience and you can write about that and ai only would use that to come up with their own article so ai needs original content to work on basically mm. and that original content is going to be valued more and more and generic content is going to be devalued going forward you know so I think AI is going to reward high quality content, whereas it's going to be detrimental to generic content. So there's nothing to be afraid of because we only do high quality content. I think AI is going to augment our efforts and only be a benefit and a boon in the long run. I'm not like, you know, I'm actually positive with AI are on the front. When I look at AI, I start to worry that it, there's a lot of people in the middle class, let's say, that are making money out of things that are potentially going to get done by AI. And I, I think about that. But I also know that over the last three months since ChatGPT, since I learned about it, I literally yeah. use it every single day. And I'm not using it to come up with original content. I'm using it to kind of get structure some outlines, think about things. Mm. I use it as an editor. So mm -hmm. I write something and I usually have an editor that's pretty good. But now I just basically go make this flow better grammatically or something like that. And it's amazing how much it's helping me. And so I, I see the value of it, but I also see that what's going to become more and more important is the unique value that you bring yeah. to the content. And so, for instance, in my case, I have a coffee factory. And when I teach finance and accounting, I go to the factory and I say, here's a picture of a green coffee bean. That is a raw material. Mm. And we're going to put yeah. it in this machine. And that is a fixed asset. And I realized that like that is the personalization that I yeah. can add to my content that nobody else is going to do. And it isn't, it's not going to get flooded. <laughs> if there's 50 people yeah, saying, come to totally. my factory to learn accounting, huh? Wait, what? <laughs> no, no, yeah, no one does that. Exactly. So there has to be a USP. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. And for those people that want to follow you, contact you, where's the best place to go? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. I'm active on both platforms at M-O-H-I-T-T-A-T-E-R. I can put the links. We can put the links I'll have in the, the bio. links in the show notes. Yeah, that, and you can email me as well. You can find my email. We can put that also if you want. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, great to learn about your business, what you're doing, and your thoughts on AI and all that. I think there's a lot yeah, yeah. of value there for, for anybody. And if somebody's built up a website, you know, that's making the money yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. does well. <laughs> One thing I want to say before we go into the big question is you said something that is very rarely talked about. You know, I have a presentation that I give where I talk about how there's 50 million businesses or whatever that number is. I can't remember right now in America. And mm -hmm. it appears that there's a lot of businesses, but when you start to realize that most of those businesses are single person businesses, yeah. You can reduce that massively. Then you realize that many of them are under 10 people, so they're small. And then you end up with a very small number of companies, let's say a million companies in America out of a population of 330. But if you yeah. then go and look at 
which ones are consistently paying dividends. My estimation is that in the US, you're probably talking about 50 to 150,000 companies. That's it. That's about it. And dividends are the ultimate key for anybody out there. The number one challenge I have for everybody is produce dividends out of your company, even if it's only 5% of your profits, because you say, oh, Andrew, I got to reinvest because you're fine. Then just do 5%. But I dare you to consistently pay dividends. Then you have a real business. So I love the fact that you said that. Yeah, totally. We have been given to be, you know, to be honest, we pretty much give out a good chunk of the profits as dividends. And that turns out to be almost 20, 25% IRR for our investors as dividends every year. So it's fantastic. So, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, take the challenge, take the dividend challenge. If you've got a business, make sure you're paying a dividend. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, yeah. take a minute and tell us about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sure. So, that's a very unique question that no one asks, actually. And I'm glad that I'm on the podcast. So, my worst decision ever was not related to my business. It was related to another business that I tried starting. How it built up to that was I was regular at a pizza place in my city. And I just, you know, grab pizzas from there every so often. So once I just got talking to the manager there that, okay, how many pizzas do you sell every day? What are the operations like? How much does it cost to start a pizza shop like this one? Are you guys doing a franchise or something? And the numbers you shared with me were like very lucrative. And I was like, okay, what am I doing? I could be selling pizzas. And then I set up a meeting with the owner of the franchise. He seemed very positive and the numbers looked good. He had the whole business plan mapped out for the expansion. So we, me and a business partner of mine, we, you know, we said, okay, let's do this because he's here to give us support. He'll hire the team for us. He'll make sure that the operations are running smooth, even though we don't have experience with the, this business, but we'll learn eventually and hopefully we'll turn around and make a profit. So we got going and almost spent about $100,000 setting that up. And before it was just about to be ready to be open, the owner of the franchise, he got a stroke and he went into coma. And he was the brains behind the brand and the marketing and everything, basically. Without him, we were like sitting ducks. So we had no option but to continue with the plan because we already spent a lot of money into building it. And then we had the team who was supposed to come to us and help us run it. So they came and they tried to run it as efficiently as they could. But we were not turning on profit. I mean, we we're just putting more money every month into you know sustaining and you know, we're not breaking even. Our marketing was lagging. And since we both did not have any experience with the F&B industry and running a restaurant, we were like pretty clueless. So we could, we try to do as much as we could, but Eventually, it failed because the person was still in a coma for a few months and it was bad, like he had a stroke. So we were sitting ducks. We had a lot of money put in. We had to pretty much write it off because we could not sell it for much. So it was a total write-off for us. Both of us, you know, decided that okay, this is not for us, physical business. We have both been doing online businesses. So let's stick to that and, you know, let's not go where we don't belong or we don't have an experience in. So, or maybe if you want to do it, let's come in with more experience or let's come in with someone who has a lot more experience than us. So that was something that, you know, we thought we could make money just by investing some money, but turned out it was not the case. So So how would you summarize the lessons that you learned from that experience? What I would summarize is that to not go or venture into an industry you don't understand 
chasing like high returns because it's not as easy as it looks from the outside. So unless you have good experience in that industry, don't bother putting your money at stake mm. so, or learn about it first, then go into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit like buying a, a house to rent or an apartment to rent or a condo to rent. If you don't yeah. like it, you're not going to ever be able to live it there. It's like, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Maybe I'll share, you know, one of my thoughts as I was thinking about that uh-huh. is, you know, when my best friend and I set up our coffee factory in Thailand, uh-huh. we started in 1995. I was already a leading analyst in Thailand and, you know, really great uh-huh. career. So I had the funding, we set up the business and basically it went, pretty well for the first year or so. And then in 1997, we had the Asian financial crisis. It just completely cut us off at the knees. And then Mohit, to make matters worse, I lost my job as a big shot investment banker, financial analyst. And next thing you know, we're living in the factory thinking we got to cut costs and just hold on here. And we grabbed on a kind of a life raft and Dale and I went to the factory. We set up a bedroom in the accounting office, moved the stuff out, put two bunk beds and two beds in just like we were back at university. (laughs) And we battened down the hatches to survive. And we did survive. Now it's 28 years later. But the point that I want to make is that we were clueless. I mean, about that particular crisis coming. And I was even a financial analyst. And in theory, I should have been able to predict it. But the truth is, You have to be prepared when you go into a business that unexpected things are going to happen. And you have to be able to say, can we sustain this or that? And here we can see, could we sustain if the founder just ran away? Let's just say, you know, the founder disappeared. Could we sustain if our customers, 50% of our customers went away Do we have the capital to survive that, to rebuild that or whatever? And I think that's kind of the big, bigger picture lesson from it. Anything you think you would add to that? Yeah, I think you summarize it pretty well. Yeah, you don't know what you're getting into until you are in it. (laughs) Yeah, so you summarize it pretty well, I think. Yeah, I mean, the point is, is that you think you can control all the variables. You you think, yeah, (laughs) but you cannot. And I like the way it, you know, the way you demonstrate what you learn from that is that you explain in your business that you buy the businesses where you understand and you understand where you can add the value and you can add value to the core of that business. So, you know, that's exciting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would have been cool. The the thought was that, you know, it could be cool to own a restaurant and also make a good profit, but yeah, it was not the case. (laughs) You got to dedicate time because both of us had our businesses, so we could not dedicate time also. So that was another problem and another mistake that we did. So, yeah. So based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, let's think about a young person that's facing this opportunity. Something comes along. What's one action that you'd recommend that they take to avoid suffering the same fate? I think it sounds difficult. Actually, it sounds easier to say, but it's more difficult to execute is try and stick to what you know. That's one thing. And try and stick to something that is already working for you. Maybe it's got some traction, but it's working for you. What I did was I chased all these shiny objects in the first five years of my business, you know, and did not focus on my main business, which was Blackwick Investments. And that led to the delay in the growth. I could have gotten much more growth before if I had focused solely on running and growing this business, Blackbook Investments, rather than chasing after other objects. But once I realized that, and once I put my, you know, head, mind, body into it full time and, you know, with full focus, it just took off. I mean, 
I did not value it as much. I should have valued it much more. And mm. I should have hired earlier for my business. Also, that's another mistake that I did. I did not hire early. I was trying to do everything myself for the first four or five years. So another mistake there. I could have achieved the same growth much earlier. So, but those were lessons learned. I don't take, I don't regret it. Those are some financial lessons, some, some time-based lessons, but those were lessons nonetheless. Yeah. Fantastic. And what's a resource that you'd recommend either of your own or any other resources? Yeah. You can go to our website, Blackbook Investments, and you can click on the investor questionnaire to just get your, you know, form in and we can see if you are a good fit to invest mm-hmm. in online businesses because it's not for everyone. I'd say it's a high risk investment. So you can do that. And we're more than happy to jump on a call with you to explain in detail to you how we do it, what we do, and discuss that whether this asset class is for you or not. And is it investing in like a fund or a limited liability company or an incorporated company? Or how, how is the investment yeah. work? It's a multi-member LLC you can be a part of if you come in on, on it. So it's like a pool of funds and we buy multiple assets using that. We also work one-on-one with investors. The minimum to work with us was $100,000, but now we're just raising that to half a million dollars so that we can make a portfolio for you. Buying one single asset, one single business is very risky, $400,000. So I am discouraging everyone from doing that. So either if you don't have a half a mil, you come to us, we put you in the pool and we buy multiple assets using that fund. And if you have a half million, then I can create a portfolio for you or your family that has two or three assets in it. So your risk is somewhat diversified. And yeah, so that's what you know we can do for you. You can also go to mohitator.com to read some of my writing. I don't write often, but yeah. Okay. And I'll have the links to all that in the show notes. If somebody was to invest in your instruments or your, your company, yeah. or you were to manage their money in investments, as an example, what type of returns do you think that they would earn over the, I don't know, the next five or 10 years? Is this... Like what roughly do you think is a reasonable return that they could get? Yeah. So historically, we have been giving out 20, 21, 22%, 20%, 25% dividends for the past five, six, seven years that, you know, we've been catering to investors and that's been consistent. We also work with a company called Web Street, which was formerly called Empire Flippers Capital, which was an offshoot of Empire Flippers, who are the biggest marketplace for buying and selling online businesses. They started a new company web Empire Flippers Capital to match operators, fund operators like us to investors. And then that company spun out into its own, which is called Web Street now. They basically raise money from investors and give that money to portfolio operators like us to buy and run businesses. We have done three rounds with them and we've raised $4.1 million with them to buy businesses. So we also work with them and they're also, we have been giving out 18 to 20, 21% ROI annualized for our investors. Mm-hmm. But having said that, this is a risky investment. So I would say prepare to lose, you know, 80% of your money. If you're ready to do that, only then get into it. Otherwise, I'd advise not to get into it. It happens like less, but there's always chance of that happening because there's a lot of factors that are not in your control, like Google changing its algorithm or Amazon cutting down its commissions overnight. These factors are not in our control. So the risk is inherent. The risk is there because, of course, high risk, high returns. Mm. So only if you're ready for that, only then get into it. We turn down a lot of investors because they're not ready for it. So yeah. we don't take their money. So That makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? For the next 12 months, my number one goal is to you know, have so many systems in place, have systems in place that my team 
is able to manage the business without me. I'm at a place where I don't have to give much time to the business. Mm. I'm mostly talking to investors and doing sales, but I want to be at a point where I'm pretty much not needed. And my team is so capable that they're able to handle everything. And we're quite there already with the help of my wife. So she's good at managing people. So she's helping me build this team right now that we have and is doing a great job. Exciting. So, yeah. Exciting. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. As we conclude, Mohit, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I think, yeah, do what you know best and stick to it until it works for you. <laughs> great, great advice. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.